You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can follow You Can't Be Neutral on Twitter at YCBNeutral, and you can find out more at YouCan'tBeNeutral.com. At the website, you'll find all the back episodes. You'll also find some links. Find a link there to send me a message. You'll also find uh, some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. So the Supreme Court finally released its decision on the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case overturning the prior precedent that's been in place for 50 years of the Roe v. Wade decision. Number one, fuck the Supreme Court. As Howard Zinn has said, the Supreme Court is not there, has not been there to protect the rights of the people, to benefit uh, the people in any significant way. They do not lead in making sure that the the people's rights are upheld they are an organization of the government the least democratic of our organizations of the government in the u.s that um upholds power they have had a long long history of upholding laws of slavery laws of segregation uh laws that have harmed huge huge portions of our nation and of our population over the years they don't deserve our respect they don't deserve our admiration they don't deserve the pedestal that they are put on when we're propagandized in school and in the media about the stature of the supreme court fuck the supreme court fuck the republicans the Republicans have orchestrated over the last several decades since Roe v. Wade was put in place. They've partnered with some of the worst elements, the most oppressive organizations and entities in our society to push forward the agenda of those oppressive organizations. They don't support women's rights. They don't support human rights. They don't support health care as a human right. And that just leads to this egregious decision in relation to abortion. Fuck the Democrats. The Democrats love to engage with, uh, with the voters and with the voters' pocketbooks to be precise and to fundraise out of fear that the Republicans are going to do bad things. So you must elect Democrats to prevent them. Well, guess what? We did elect Democrats. And guess what else? They didn't prevent them. The 2020 platform of the Democratic Party said, quote, we will repeal the Hyde Amendment and protect and codify the right to reproductive freedom. The Democrats hold the Senate, the Democrats hold the House of Representatives, and the Democrats hold the presidency. They're either inept or they don't care. So fuck the Democrats. Show us the results. They're already begging for votes, saying this is why you must elect more Democrats, and then we will. Fuck that. You have the power. 
if you want the votes, if you want us to support you, use the power you have and pass the laws that need to be passed now. Don't pretend you're impotent. If you continue to, we then can realize that you don't give a shit. So fuck the Democrats. And fuck the religions that oppose women's human rights. All of the religious folks who pretend to uh, support life, but who don't, who do no such thing, who support birth in this particular case uh, and ignore life in other cases. And those that don't give a shit about people when they're born, only when they're unborn. Those folks that have compelled and inserted themselves into our political institutions in order to drive the kind of results that we see in the overturn of Roe v. Wade. The rightful reaction to the overturn of Roe v. Wade is taking to the streets, and it's happening. I'm recording this on Saturday. The decision was released yesterday, and protests started yesterday immediately after the decision was released. Where these will go, where these will take us, what kind of pressure they will put on people in power remains to be seen. Here's what Utah Phillips has to say about our freedoms and how we protect them and preserve them. Freedom is something you assume. Then you wait for someone to try and take it away. The degree to which you resist is a degree to which you are free. Here's a piece published at catholicnewsagency.com. This is written by Joe Bucurus. A nearly naked woman disrupted mass at a Catholic church in, a Mich- in Michigan by standing on a pew and shouting pro-abortion chants. An online video shows, quote, overturn Roe? Hell no, the woman shouted, interrupting the priest's homily. Abortion without apology. Two other women visible in the video joined her in the chants and held green cloth bandana-like banners, which often are used by activists with the pro-abortion group Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Ushers escorted the three women out of the church. As they were let out, a man inside the church chanted, Abortion kills babies. Abortion kills babies. The episode took place at St. Veronica Parish, East Point, Michigan located about a 20-minute drive north of Detroit. The video originally was posted on TikTok and then reposted on Twitter. A caption on the video says the disruption happened Sunday. This was a disruption that happened prior to yesterday's official release of the final decision in the Dobbs case. And this really points to the fact that while protests are going to be critical and they're going to need to be large and they're going to need to uh, be uh, lengthy and extensive and not and, and be relentless. Other actions need to happen as well. It needs to be more than protest. It needs to be multifaceted, which clu- includes rebellion, includes uh, crossing the lines of what some um, people call civility. Uh, it means that we're going to have to confront the harms that this decision is going to wreak upon many, many people in many, many states in aggressive manners. And I know these words, may some may take as dangerous and threatening, and I will say I am opposed to any type of of violence that is not in self-defense but we need to cross the lines of civility 
and be confrontational. We will not win. We will not be defending our rights. As Utah Phillips said, the degree to which you resist is a degree to which you are free. So while the Democrats call for you to vote, vote more, vote harder, and we already know all of the obstacles put into place, especially for black and brown and other minority people to have access to those voting booths and to be able to cast their vote and to not wait in six hour long lines to do so. We see all of these obstacles put into place. So vote more and vote harder. It's not enough. It's not enough. There needs to be a lot more. The outrage needs to be visible. It needs to be everywhere. I talk more about the actions are, that are being taken by people in this country and all over the world, standing up for their rights, standing up for themselves on my other podcast. If you want to check out People Are Revolting and you'll hear some of these stories of protests and more that are happening, both around the abortion issue and around other critical issues. In addition to fighting publicly and, and being visible and being loud and making change at the ballot box and change in our political institutions, we need to protect our resources and we need to protect ourselves. So there's a lot connected with things happening online, a lot beyond the discussion and argument on social media. Here's a piece written by A.D. Robinson. That's A.D.I. Robertson. This is published at The Verge. Yesterday, the Supreme Court voted to uphold a Mississippi abortion ban and overturn Roe v. Wade, ending abortion access in some states and triggering impending bans in others. The decision won't end abortion in America. But in many places, it will move the procedure underground and based on recent history online. Understandably, abortion advocates have focused on surveillance issues in the immediate aftermath of the ruling, concerned about states using online records for criminal prosecutions. But there's also a fight brewing over how and where advocates will be able to share abortion information online. If a procedure is illegal, then states could claim content enabling that procedure is illegal too, raising thorny questions for platforms and activists alike. Abortion bans in states like Texas already have provisions to penalize people seen as aiding and abetting the procedure, and some anti-abortion activists are pushing to define this as simply describing how to self-manage an abortion. As the appeal noted earlier this week, the National Right to Life Committee, NRLC, has proposed model legislation that would prohibit offering, quote, instructions over the telephone, the internet, or any other medium of communication, or hosting or maintaining a website or providing internet service that encourages or facilitates efforts to obtain an illegal abortion. The language seems aimed at sites like Plan C, which offers detailed information about obtaining misoprostol and mifepristone for self-managed abortion. Many news outlets, including Verge's sister site The Cut, have also published detailed information about the subject. Broad terms like hosting would even seemingly let states go after internet infrastructure providers that support sites like Plan C or social networks that they use to spread information. Civil liberties advocates assert that this would be unconstitutional. Quote, this kind of legislation raises serious First Amendment concerns, said Knight First Amendment Institute Executive Director Jamil Jaffer. We intend to consider challenging any legislation that uses today's Supreme Court decision as a justification for new limitations on protected speech or new forms of surveillance. Motivated prosecutors may still try to punish outlets that share information, arguing that the material is specifically intended to help others break the law and drag them into expensive and protracted legal cases, even if they ultimately prevail. Quote, explaining what abortion is, where you can get one, 
advocating for a person's right or ability to get an abortion. All these things are generally truthful information that cannot be prosecuted without violating the First Amendment, says ACLU counsel Jennifer Granick. The risk is that prosecutors will take those private conversations where people are exchanging information and try to cast those as criminal encounters. And that will be something that we're going to probably end up having to fight. Activists and healthcare providers have an incentive to fight these battles, but the digital platforms they use might not. Opponents of legal abortion could threaten any company involved in hosting speech with lawsuits if they allow abortion-related communications. Potential targets range from social networks like Facebook, where it's easy to connect with people seeking abortions, to infrastructure providers like content delivery networks, which provide critical logistical support for independent websites. Right now, platforms have an easy answer to the threats, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Section 230 shields apps and websites from being considered the publisher or speaker of user-generated content, protecting them from liability over hosting it. Unlike a First Amendment defense, it doesn't require fighting over whether the content in question is illegal, reducing the legal burden of lawsuits. Quote, the thing about Section 230 is you don't have to demonstrate that it's First Amendment protected speech, which can take a long, long time, sometimes in litigation, says Granick. There's an exception for conduct that violates federal criminal law, but not violations of state laws, like the current abortion bans. Still, Section 230 has become increasingly unpopular among Republicans and Democrats alike. Federal bills like the Earn It Act and the Safe Tech Act have proposed chipping away at its protections, while Texas and Florida have passed laws on the premise that Section 230 shouldn't stop states from implementing their own content moderation laws. In 2018, then-President Donald Trump signed FOSTA-SESTA, which removed protections for material related to sex work, with support from both parties. Critics of Section 230 have cited real cases of sites usually not the typical big tech targets, using it to avoid responsibility for encouraging non-consensual pornography or defamatory lies. Many proposals for fixing this, however, contain broad carve-outs that could be exploited to make learning about abortion harder, even if that's not the goal. Research suggests FOSTA-SESTA led to a mass deplatforming of sex workers online, whether or not they were directly posting illegal content and the ripple effects made it harder to operate services like online sex education. Further weakening the law could have similar chilling effects on abortion information too, with sites deciding to err on the side of caution rather than risk legal liability. Sometimes people say, well, what's the problem, says Garnick of Section 230 carve-outs. For instance, if we have an exception for federal crimes, why shouldn't we also have an exception to allow liability for state crimes? And this is like Exhibit A in why we don't want to open up liability to state criminal provisions. Fight for the Future Director Evan Greer says the death of Roe adds a dangerous side effect to current proposals. Quote, Even well-intentioned changes to Section 230, like the proposed like those proposed in the Safe Tech Act or Justice Against Malicious Algorithms Act, could unleash a wave of lawsuits from anti-abortion activists who are already lawyered up, litigious, and highly motivated to get content about abortion access scrubbed from the internet, says Greer. Companies could respond by minimizing their risk, resulting in anything from crowdfunding sites banning abortion access funds, to online social spaces shutting down people who try to arrange travel and logistics for cross-state abortions. Quote, Weakening Section 230 would be a disaster in a post-Roe environment, Greer continues. There are good reasons to be wary of organizing abortion access on major platforms, like leaving a data trail that could be used by police in prosecutions. But overzealous bans would just make finding health information harder. For lawmakers who have backed keeping abortion accessible, that's a risk any future Section 230 reform will have to reckon with. And that's a very, very small piece of the online puzzle and the privacy puzzle that is going to face a bigger reckoning in a world in the United States without the protection of the Roe v. Wade decision.
there's all kinds of implications uh, for privacy, which already exist. We have a, a, a mess of privacy risk out there in the way that we interact with all kinds of services and all kinds of uh, platforms online. And one of those is that there are so many entities out there collecting data and holding data and selling data and giving away data and having data stolen and providing data to law enforcement that create these huge risks for people's personal safety and not implicating themselves um, when they are forced to violate laws because those laws are so oppressive. Another piece of the privacy puzzle is covered by the Digital Defense Fund. You can find this at the Digital Defense Fund org keep your abortion private and secure and this page covers several areas for you to help make sure that as you interact with any online services in relation to learning about or obtaining an abortion that you do so in ways that can help you keep those keep that information more private. This page also does come with a disclaimer. These privacy recommendations are for informational purposes only and do not constitute legal advice. Please consult with your own counsel for any questions on applicable local, state, or federal laws. So there are six different categories that they cover to help you protect yourself. One is related to seeing advertisements related to pregnancy and abortion. Um, working with sites from tech companies like Facebook and Google and the information they store. Safety using a phone or your own device to access information. And even safety for protecting yourself against identification from protesters outside of a clinic. Want to avoid advertisements related to pregnancy and abortion? The problem. While browsing the internet and using our phones feels private, many companies actually watch what we do online and use our phones to track where we go. These records are used to target us with ads and sold to data brokers and advertising firms. This is how Facebook can show you an ad for the items you just browsed in an online store. The solution, if you want to keep your searches and movements private, follow these steps. Disable your mobile ad ID. There's an article from the New York Times linked here that has an illustrated instructions for turning off your mobile ad ID on Android and iPhone. Turning off your mobile ad ID will limit the ways that companies can connect your location, search data, and browsing history. You can opt out of personalized ads on Google and there are instructions here for turning off personalized ads. You'll have to log into your Google account Navigate to Data and Personalization, find the Ad Personalization panel, and uncheck the box about personalizing ads. You can opt out of targeted ads on Facebook and Instagram. There's an article with instructions here to opt out. You can find your Facebook settings, click on the Ads category, and opt out of the various options on that page, including ads that follow you around the Internet and ads on Facebook based on websites you've looked at. You can use DuckDuckGo instead of Google to search. Did you know that Google saves all your searches and keeps them both in your Google account and in their servers? DuckDuckGo is a privacy-focused search engine that does not save your search data or collect any information about you. DuckDuckGo does not sell your data to advertisers either. You can use Firefox Focus instead of your phone's default browser. Your phone's browser stores your browsing history and lets cookies and scripts track you. Firefox Focus is a privacy-focused browser that blocks third-party trackers, which can be used to target you with ads, and Firefox Focus won't sell your data. 
You don't want big companies to store information about your pregnancy or abortion? The problem. While browsing the internet and using our phones feels private, many companies actually watch what we do online and use our phones to track where we go. All of these companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, your cell phone service provider, your internet provider, any app with access to your location data, keep records of what we do. These records are not only used for advertising, but can also be bought by governments and handed over to the police if the company gets a warrant. The solution, if you want to keep your searches and movements private, follow these steps. Turn off location sharing. There's an article here with details and instructions for limiting apps access to your location. Many apps ask for location permissions and sell that data to advertisers. Law enforcement also buys this data to surveil oppressed communities. Disable your mobile ad ID as we discussed before, as well as using DuckDuckGo and using Firefox Focus. Are you worried about the person who pays your phone bill seeing your texts? The problem, often the person who pays your phone bill can log into the account and see all the texts and numbers you've contacted. The solution, use a voice over IP, VOIP app, to keep your messages and call log in the application instead of in your private, in your phone company's records. To be extra careful, you can delete the messages and call log history from the application too. Google Voice, if you need to make a call or send a regular SMS text, you can use an app like Google Voice. Messaging apps, you can also use a messaging app like Signal or WhatsApp as long as the person you are calling or texting also has the app. And just be aware of the security and privacy of these apps that you're using. Worried someone with access to your phone will see your messages or your browsing history? Concerned your phone may be confiscated at a border crossing or encounter with law enforcement? The problem, if you share a phone with family members, they may see your messages or browsing history, or you may encounter law enforcement or border patrol officers who demand to look at your phone. Note, someone demanding access to your phone, threatening you if you don't share your messages or insisting that you share passwords is a form of technological abuse. To learn more about tech abuse, you can read about warning signs of abuse from loveisrespect.org. And you can get support for dealing with technological abuse from techsafety.org's resources or by following the tips from the DIY Cybersecurity for Domestic Violence Guide or by calling or texting the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. The solution, make it harder for people to extract information about you from your phone. Follow these steps. Use a strong PIN or password. iPhones and newer Androids are automatically encrypted when you protect them with a PIN. You now have the option to use an even stronger PIN by creating a six character or longer PIN or password. If someone demands access to your phone, you may decide it is safer to give them the PIN than to resist. Use the following steps to proactively remove information in case you need to protect your safety by sharing your PIN. Browse in an incognito window or clear your browser history. Use Firefox Focus, a browser that automatically deletes your browsing history. Use an incognito or private browser window, which automatically deletes your browsing history. You can use a private window in Safari, Chrome, and Firefox. Manually clear your browsing history in Safari, Chrome, or Firefox. You can delete the whole history, or in Chrome and Firefox, you can choose specific sites to delete. Turn on disappearing messages in secure messaging apps like Signal. The Signal messaging app allows you to set a time period after which all messages in that thread are automatically deleted. You can find instructions for turning on disappearing messages at a link in this article. You don't want your phone company to have copies of your browsing history or texts about your abortion? The problem. When you use the internet, your internet service provider can keep records of the websites you visit. 
However, thanks to encryption called HTTPS, they can't see what you do on those websites. When you send a text via SMS, your phone company stores copies of all those texts. These can be turned over if the phone company gets a warrant or used for advertisement. If you want to keep your information private from your phone company, you can do the following. Keep your texts private with an end-to-end -end encrypted messaging app like Signal. When you send a text via SMS, your phone company stores copies of those texts as well as metadata, data about who you are talking to and how often. Signal is a secure end-to-end -end encrypted messaging app that doesn't store your messages or metadata about them. Keep your browsing private with Tor or a no-logs virtual private network. Tor is a secure free browser that encrypts your internet traffic and routes your internet traffic through multiple different computers, which masks the origin of your traffic. VPNs route your internet traffic through their services instead of your internet service providers. It is important to choose a VPN that doesn't keep track of what you're doing, commonly called a no-logs VPN. Most no-logs VPNs cost a few dollars a month, but there are two free options. Proton VPN's free tier and TunnelBear's limited free tier. Are you worried about protesters outside the clinic violating your privacy? The problem. Unfortunately, some people who are against abortion stand outside abortion clinics to try to shame and embarrass people going into the clinic. These people don't know anything about you, your life, or your pregnancy. Rarely, protesters will have cameras and will try to scare you by taking pictures of people going to the clinic. The solution, wear a hat or hoodie, sunglasses, and your mask to make it harder for protesters to recognize you. You can also use an umbrella to create a physical barrier between you and the protesters. Know that only you know what is best for you. Think of a comforting phrase that reminds yourself of this and repeat it to yourself. Here's as well a linked video from a licensed counselor about how to take good care of yourself before or after walking past anti-abortion protesters. Note, the counselor uses gendered language to describe people seeking abortions. We know that not all people who have abortions are women. You may choose not to watch the video if you want to avoid gendered language. So once again, these tips are published at digitaldefensefund.org. And there's links throughout these that will get you additional information than the information that I was able to read. Clinic protesters have been a problem for a very long time. Back in the 1990s, clinic protesters really escalated what they did and used tactics beyond just protesting while their protests got more aggressive. They also very frequently attacked abortion clinics, and those attacks certainly didn't end then. There have been attacks on abortion clinics even recently. One of the organizations driving those protests back in the 90s was Operation Rescue. The aggressiveness of that organization out of the protests back in the 90s led the man consolidated to write the song Butyric Acid. Show impatient, no respect now. Break for the lane, get a bow in your neck now. Come on. 
like abortion and don't want there to be any more abortions than get a vasectomy that's of course until the republicans in your state outlaw vasectomies like they're outlawing other types of health care including and beyond just abortion ask any trans person about all the laws out there that they're battling that are trying to block or have blocked health care for trans folks at the state level. So let's go back to the Supreme Court. And as I mentioned earlier, we've got to unlearn a lot of what we were taught, what we were indoctrinated about when we learned about civics in school and we learned about our government and we learned about the three branches and checks and balances and how uh, great democratic systems are um, but they're not so great and it, it takes some of us a long time and a lot of education I like to make this big distinction between schooling and education it takes a lot of us quite a bit of education to unlearn our schooling around these ideas and around these institutions and that's of course a very very deliberate if we hold these institutions in esteem if we hold the founding fathers in esteem then a, a, a judge that has a quote-unquote originalist point of view doesn't sound unreasonable but when we educate ourselves and learn about those founding fathers who created these institutions and all the folks along the way who upheld and strengthened these institutions and who they were and what they really stood for and we 
recognized that our country was built on the backs of at least two uh, major genocides, that of the indigenous Americans and that of the black Africans who were brought over here as slaves, and that our country was founded with those folks and others, including all women, not having rights, um, we can see the problem of having an originalist perspective on the Constitution and really caring and really holding up as extremely important what those founding fathers intended, what they believed when they were drafting these documents that rule our lives. Here's a piece by David A. Love. This is published at thegrio.com. The U.S. Supreme Court is an illegitimate institution that is a threat to the lives of black people and other marginalized groups in particular, and those who are not white Christian supremacist men. Now is the time to shut the whole thing down, now and start from scratch, before more people die. The recent decisions coming from this court are all the proof you need that we are in danger. Consider the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the end of safe, accessible abortions and a woman's right to control her own body in about half of the states. This decision will have a disproportionate impact on black women who are twice as likely to lose a baby to premature death and three to four times more likely to die from complications during pregnancy. One study predicts that an abortion ban will increase black maternal deaths by a third, the highest increase of any group. Black women who have the highest rate of abortions, followed by Latinx women, already face systemic racism, poverty, and a lack of health care access. Consider the court's recent ruling that was a direct jab at the separation of church and state and allows taxpayer dollars to pay for religious schools. White Christian nationalists have used religion to maintain racial segregation and developed the concept of school vouchers following the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education desegregation decision to fund whites-only segregation academies. This court struck down New York's 108-year-old gun control law and proclaimed that people have a constitutional right to walk around carrying concealed weapons in public. The ruling will impact states that account for a quarter of the U.S. population, undermining larger cities' efforts to curb an epidemic of gun violence and address the threats to black lives. After gutting the Voting Rights Act in 2013, the court is allowing states to use illegal, racially gerrymandered districts that erase black power. A conservative majority just weakened the enforcement of Miranda rights and the ability of people to sue the police for failing to warn them of their right to remain silent during an arrest. And the Supreme Court said that innocence was not enough to overturn a conviction of a black man who was convicted of murder and rape and is sitting on death row. If innocence is not enough for this court, then what is? And what is justice? For that matter. This court is a Jim Crow Christian fascist monarchy that is fulfilling the hopes and dreams of the modern conservative movement and the promise of white minority rule. Republicans are using the courts to promote an agenda of highly racist, unpopular, undemocratic, and obscenely cruel policies. With each passing day, People wonder if they will awaken to find that the U.S. Supreme Court has taken away another basic human right. What's next? Banning contraceptives? Same-sex marriage? Interracial marriage? Looking at you, Clarence Thomas. Stealing elections? Will black people find themselves picking cotton for free tomorrow? In his concurring opinion in the Dobbs decision overturning abortion rights, Justice Clarence Thomas said the quiet part out loud and urged the court to reverse past decisions that granted privacy rights under the 14th Amendment. And side note, who helped uh, usher Clarence Thomas's nomination through the Senate? Thanks a lot, Joe Biden.
What we have is a radical and extremist Supreme Court with warped priorities, little to no accountability other than impeachment, and no ethics rules to rein in its members. The highest court in the land erected barricades to protect itself from protesters, yet will not protect school children from armed gunmen. This is a court that will investigate the leaking of a draft opinion banning abortion, but will not investigate Jenny Thomas, the wife of Justice Thomas, much less force the justice to recuse himself. Jenny Thomas allegedly pressed Trump's chief of staff and 29 Arizona officials to overturn the 2020 election. Jenny also reportedly has close ties to her husband's former law clerks, including former Trump attorney John Eastman, who is at the center of the January 6 hearings for his efforts to keep Trump in power. Meanwhile, Justice Thomas, who has desecrated the legacy of Thurgood Marshall for over 30 years and has brought shame to the Gulagichi people who birthed him, was the only justice to vote against releasing White House documents to the House January 6th committee that may implicate his wife. Thomas has decried a lack of respect for institutions such as the Supreme Court and said that the court shouldn't be bullied into making particular decisions. But how can we respect an institution that is illegitimate, corrupt, and pathological? All judges have their own opinion, but they are supposed to be fair and seek justice. The conservative justices, several of whom were placed on the court through the breaking of norms, a sketchy confirmation process, and while lying under oath, openly flaunt their Republican Party affiliation. Handmade Justice Amy Coney Barrett argued last year that the Supreme Court is not a, quote, bunch of partisan hacks, as she spoke at the McConnell Center at the University of Louisville, sitting next to Senator Mitch McConnell, the man with the receipts for her Supreme Court seat. The fact is the six-member majority of the Supreme Court is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Republican Party and the billionaire donors who paid for them. As Senator Sheldon Whitehouse has noted, a dark money Koch brothers funded group called the Judicial Crisis Network, JCN, waged a 2.5 million ad campaign to derail the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. JCN spends millions of dollars each year, quote, to sway state judicial elections and attorneys general races, helping to uphold state laws backed by conservatives, nurture like-minded talent in the states, and advance pro-business, limited government legal agendas aligned with its donors' leanings. At the heart of this network is Federalist Society co-chairman Leonard Leo, who controls the vetting of conservative Supreme Court candidates and leads the $250 million effort from undisclosed donors to reshape the courts in the mold of the extreme right. Leo promotes voter fraud conspiracy theories and leads GOP voter suppression efforts. Republicans' success in capturing the Supreme Court was decades in the making, and Democrats failed to take the crisis seriously. Biden put together a Supreme Court Reform Commission that amounted to nothing. Expert testimony before that commission revealed the U.S. Supreme Court is the oldest and most outdated judicial system in the world. The court is an outlier in the international community in terms of its outsized power, lifetime tenure, and the ability to nullify laws and rights under a constitution that is nearly impossible to amend. With a court that is not designed to meet the demands of a modern society or protect the rights of black people and other groups, exactly what are we doing? The highest court in the land is a corrupt body in need of change. But is reform enough? Can we really reform the court that gave us Dred Scott versus Sanford and Plessy versus Ferguson? and has terrorized black people for most of its history? Is trimming the green mold on a rotting piece of meat the answer? Or do you find an entirely different means of sustenance? Since the Supreme Court never protected black people, the goal should not be reformed to bring us back to the way things were, but rather to take us where we should be. America never was a true democracy, and as a civil rights lawyer, Sherilyn Eiffel, reminds us, quote, remember that we have never seen the America we've been fighting for. So no need to be nostalgic. Right on the other side of this unraveling is opportunity. 
And while black people should be proud of Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman selected for the court, there is no pride in having a black woman sit powerless on a court as it presides over the removal of black people's civil rights. Corrupt, toxic, and illegitimate, the Supreme Court is an anti-democratic force in America, a white Christian nationalist operation that needs a replacement before it kills us. Not all coups and insurrections take place with lynch mobs. Sometimes the legalese of a court opinion is enough. And with the ruling from the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, too many people think this is the final word. There's nothing that can be done. Our hands are tied. The Supreme Court, they are the arbiter of what is constitutional and what is not. But that is not the truth. That is the propaganda. That is part of what we have been taught and trained in part of what the media has very often reinforced and what many, many politicians have very frequently attempted to and often successfully reinforced that the Supreme Court is the be all end all in our legal system. And I use that uh, term very deliberately. We do not have a justice system in the United States. We have a legal system. The product of this legal system is legal judgments. The product of this legal system is in no way resembling justice. What we need is a justice system, but that is a long story for another time. Here's a piece from the New York Times. This is written by Jamel Bowie. The Supreme Court does not exist above the constitutional system. It can shape the constitutional order. It can say what the Constitution means, but it cannot shield itself from the power of the other branches. The Supreme Court can be checked and the Supreme Court can be balanced. It is tempting in the immediate wake of the court's ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health to say that there's nothing to be done about the reactionary majority on the court. But that's just not true. The Constitution provides a number of paths by which Congress can restrain and discipline a rogue court. It can impeach and remove justices. It can increase or decrease the size of the court itself. At its inception, the Supreme Court had only six members. It can strip the court of its jurisdiction over certain issues, or it can weaken its power of judicial review by requiring a supermajority of justices to sign off on any decision that overturns a law. Congress can also rebuke the court with legislation that simply cancels a decision in question. In the face of a reckless, reactionary, and power-hungry court, Congress has options. The problem is politics. Despite the arrogance of the current Supreme Court, despite its almost total lack of a democratic legitimacy, there is little to no appetite within the Democratic Party for a fight over the nature of the court and its place in our constitutional system. For many Democrats, President Roosevelt's attempt to expand the size of the court is less a triumph than a cautionary tale, a testament to the limits of presidential leadership and presidential power. But Roosevelt did eventually get a Supreme Court that allowed most of the New Deal to stand. The threat worked. The court was humbled. It will take time to build the kind of power and consensus needed to make significant changes to the court. But even the work of amassing that power and putting that consensus together can stand as a credible threat to a Supreme Court that has acted under conservative control as if it stands above the constitutional system, unaccountable to anyone other than itself. The power to check the Supreme Court is there in the Constitution. The task now is to seize it. So again, that's one of the levers or a few of the levers that the Democratic Party has in their hands. Once again, the Democratic Party, they control the Senate. Barely, but yet they do control it. They control the House of Representatives. They control the presidency. 
They control two of the three branches of government that all those civics classes in school said were there to check and balance each other. So, therefore, they should wield power in every way they possibly can. And the fact that they choose not to, they choose rather to let the harm happen and let the anger that that harm causes drive you to vote for more of them. Fuck the Democrats. And here's a piece that I actually read in a previous episode, but it is really important in this discussion when we talk about abortion. And what does abortion mean? And there's so much moral baggage wrapped up in abortion um, coming largely from the religious folks who oppose it um, that often people are afraid to support abortion, not just support the right to choose. People, people tend to get very careful about their language and be very cautious about what they say they are for they are for women's autonomy and they are for the right to choose but do they will they will we say abortion is good i will say abortion is good abortion is health care health care is good health care also is a human right Abortion is freedom. Abortion is liberation. Here's a piece by Tina Vasquez. This is published at prismreports.org. When I read the leaked draft Supreme Court decision that would strike down Roe v. Wade, I was transported back in time to when I was a teenager in Southeast Los Angeles, terrified for my life. When I was 19 and pregnant, I would lay in bed at night, stare at the ceiling, and pray to God that I could get an abortion or find the courage to take my own life. It wasn't shame or stigma that made me want to die. It was the idea of having a child I did not want to have. At the time, I was a college student in an abusive relationship with someone who was substance-dependent. I saved the money intended for my abortion in the pages of a book, but my partner would take the funds and use them to buy drugs. Every day that ticked by was excruciating. Even at 37 and after many years of reflection, I still cannot articulate the agony and terror I felt every hour that I was pregnant and did not want to be. It's a unique kind of violence, and at no other time in my life, have I felt as powerless or disconnected from my body? The only thing that really stood between me and the future I wanted for myself was money. But as it turned out, money was the hardest thing to come by. I did not know abortion funds existed, and as a poor Latina in a deeply repressive and abusive home, there were few places I knew to turn to. At the time, I did not have the kind of relationship with my parents that would have made it safe to ask them for help. I'm certain my father would have beaten me and forced me to become a parent. But I also knew my parents didn't have a dollar to spare. There were times they literally could not keep the lights on, times when lunch was a mustard and onion sandwich. Asking them for money was a useless endeavor that would have put my safety at risk. Everything was a calculation. How do I survive today? How much time do I have? How much money do I need? Who can I beg, borrow, or steal from? I did all of the above, but ultimately, what allowed me to pay for my abortion was a lie I told my partner's mom about being unable to afford textbooks for my community college classes. She gave me a few hundred dollars in cash, which allowed me to terminate the pregnancy she would otherwise have tried to coerce me to continue. You're not supposed to say this, but I had no complicated feelings about accessing abortion care. 
Even having grown up in a traditional home with heavy Catholic overtones and a machista father, after my abortion, I felt nothing but relief and elation. I felt free. There is nothing more holy in the world than choosing if, when, or how you create a family, which is why abortion is one of our most sacred rights. I am certain that I have a life I could have only dreamed of as a young person, one devoted to family, community, and storytelling, because at 19, I was able to access abortion care that changed the course of my life. I know there are many people who have children under less than ideal circumstances and who go on to have full and fulfilling lives. I also know that would not have been possible for me, and I unapologetically chose myself. Every word I have written, every story I have told, every ounce of joy I have experienced is because I had the ability to shape my life the way I wanted. As a journalist, I know we create the public record, and I want the record to show that abortion is freedom. Striking down the right to abortion will overwhelmingly impact low-income people of color and immigrants, people who already face insurmountable barriers accessing care, people who already have to travel out of state for care, people who already have to cross borders and border patrol checkpoints to access care, people for whom Roe was already a myth. The decades-long war against Roe was never just about controlling our reproduction. If you do not get to decide if and when you become a parent, you have lost control of your health, your finances, and your stability. You have lost control of your life. Not long before my mom died, she told me she never wanted children, but that she loved me. Every year on the anniversary of her death on May 3, I spend the day reflecting on her life, including how much of it was out of her control and how much she was robbed of. The circumstances of my mom's life shaped my own, and her unexpected death at the age of 49 set my life ablaze. I have forced myself to see our short relationship as a temporary gift, one that taught me our time here is truly limited and it's worth fighting tooth and nail to make the most of it. If I could talk to my mom today, I think she would be proud of me for having an abortion and choosing the life I wanted. Just as I understand that today's fight for abortion access is a fight for the lives of millions of people who deserve the right to bodily autonomy and the ability to live self-determined lives. It's not hyperbole to say that access to abortion care is a matter of life and death. But this urgency is clearly not felt by elected officials or the courts. There is no telling what tomorrow or next week or next year will bring, but this I do know. We have kept each other safe, and we will keep each other free. I've heard other people who have had abortions flat out state, if they could not have had an abortion, they would have taken their own life here's something i saw on twitter today as well i said to my wife do you think anyone will commit suicide because they could not get an abortion she instantly replied yes and then she added there will be all those boyfriends and husbands that murder them because they couldn't get one too and that shook my fucking world So as we are thrust into this new phase of this struggle, we need to make sure we find ways to take care of each other. And there are all kinds of institutions out there and networks out there that have existed for a very long time and that are forming and growing anew to meet these new challenges. And those of us who haven't been consistently a part of those networks and those struggles or supportive of those networks and those struggles because this issue wasn't near the top of our list of things that we fight for and struggle for need to join with them and join those struggles now and that will wrap up this episode of you can't be neutral remember you can follow on twitter at ycb neutral 
And you can check out all the back episodes at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You can also listen to this podcast and all my other podcasts, including People Are Revolting, on movingtrainradio.com. This is consolidated from their album Friendly Fascism with our moment of Zen. This is your body belongs to the state. Thanks for listening. If a woman wants to end a pregnancy for whatever reason, it's a valid reason. children. Abortion is not murder and women are not incubators. Look at Nazi Germany, for example. There was an alliance developed between the Nazis and Catholics, probably particularly the Catholic hierarchy on this question of abortion. Both felt that decisions on reproduction were not to be left up to individual women. The Catholics, on the one hand, felt that this was only a decision that God could make and individuals must subordinate their will to God. Uh, on the other hand, the Nazis felt that your body was not yours, that it belonged to the state. Your body was not yours, that it belonged to the state. Your body was not yours, that it belonged to the state. Pro-choice movement is exactly that, it's pro-choice.